Hey there, Margie Bryce here bringing you the Krabby Pastor Podcast. And I don't think you're going to be too surprised to know that it's too easy today to become the Krabby Pastor. Our time together will give you food for thought to help you be the ministry leader fully surrendered to God's purposes and living into whatever it takes to get you there and keep you there. So we're talking about sustainability in ministry. Hey, this is Margie Bryce with the Krabby Pastor podcast. Hoping you're not having a crabby day. Um, I am here again with Alan Fadling, author, and uh, he is author of An Unhurried Life and An Unhurried Leader. Am I getting these correct? That's the name of them. Okay. And then Unhurried Living is the name of your podcast. And you are at unhurriedliving.com. And we'll, I will put those, those uh, pieces of information in the show notes for sure, for sure. But I want to talk quickly about, well, not quickly. How about unhurriedly? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I want to assess some demerits for me. Um, <laughs> all right. I, I was really intrigued with this section in your book where you talked about uh, hurried leaders. They are quick to do, and slow to be. Hmm. That being versus doing quagmire that we often find ourselves in. We want to just, as leaders, just jump in. Somebody comes to you with a problem and you want to just fix it. You want to, okay, here's what we got to do. And you're seen as a very competent leader if you can come up with you know, something to solve the solution, but we're slow to be. Can you, can you describe that for us? Yeah. Well, you're right. I think this is in part a cultural reality. You know, we're the can-do culture and we're sort of known for that. Uh, American entrepreneurialism is proverbial. Mm-hmm. So it, it finds its way into every sort of expression in, in our cultural environment. Uh, but the idea of being, I think we overestimate the impact of things we do, and I think we underestimate the power of who we are and who we're becoming. And I, th- I think when Jesus says something like, make the tree good, that's a statement about being more than it is a statement about doing. Become the sort of tree, make your life the sort of tree that would bear good fruit. Become mm-hmm. that kind of tree. Now, you can't do that fast. <laughs> you know, oh, if you, you know, darn. <laughs> if you plant an acorn in your backyard, you will not have an oak tree in weeks. <laughs> it's right. going to be decades. And that's good. That's how God made the world. And so I often will say to leaders, give attention to who you're becoming. You know, the fruit of the Spirit is a way of describing that becoming. This is what it looks like when we become a bit more like Christ, when our lives are infused a bit more by God's Spirit. And that kind of person doing the things you do will make all the difference. Yeah, I think I remember in a couple of places in your book as I was looking through it, I wrote, well, I'm not that, <laughs> or I'm not that either, <laughs> and thought, well, you know. So I like your acorn picture of this just takes time. That kind of takes a little bit of the pressure off. 
Yeah, to, that's you know, what not- I want. Yeah, that's yeah. what I want to do. I, I want, I want leaders, especially pastors and other leaders, to have a process vision of their lives instead of imagining their life as just one big long list of events to manage. You're on a journey. Uh, people are on a journey. Uh, enjoy it. It's an adventure. It's a good thing. What do you say to the pastor then who feels like their ministry has become a list of events? Now, whether it's a meeting or a um, a church-wide event or something, and that they feel like they are a production manager. Yeah. Well, I think a lot of us feel that way. Now, the irony is when um, COVID shut things down, now obviously that created some pressures for folks. How are we going to produce these weekly gatherings? But I know for me, early on, like I said, when I was in that place of burnout in my young leadership, I was defining ministry as how full can I make the calendar? That will be the measure of success. The irony is not only was I burning me out, I was actually managing to burn college students out. Now, if you Mm. can burn college students out, you've really accomplished something because they've usually got energy to burn. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So when I began to sort of slow down and rediscover some of these rhythms that were more living, more life-giving, I also began to change the way I did what I did. I started uh, pruning away some things that had been filling our calendars. Mm. I began to simplify them a bit. And what was beautiful was the students took to that. They began to sense that busy wasn't doing as much for them as they thought any more than I had thought it was doing for them. And having space to have relationships, honest relationships with each other, instead of just doing bunches of things together, Mm -hmm. really began to be appreciated. Some of those college students are now 50-something. Mm-hmm. And I still have friendships with many of them, and they're still living this way. So I can say this unhurried way of life is, in fact, sustainable. I have long-term evidence for that. So, yes, I started this conversation about slow down, and and they the podcast initially aired like over Advent, and somebody on Facebook gave me a little pushback and said, are you kidding me? Do you know my list? Do you know? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I, especially now. Yeah, especially yes. now. Yes. <laughs> you know, or, or you miss, you wonder why Christmas came and went and, you know, your heart never grew. <laughs> you know, you stayed. I know. It just stayed in one, one size. I small, <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> Ouch. Yeah, ouch. So I like that you also said that um, hurried leaders are often quick to speak, but really slow to listen. You know, this is like, I think there's a scripture like this. <laughs> I think that's somewhere that maybe James, I don't know. It might be James. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they are quick to teach, slow to learn, mm. and quick to lead others but slow to let God lead them beside still waters. Mm. Why is that? Why, mm. why is there that heavy resistance to doing the very things that give you life and John 10, 10 and it in abundance? That's right. Well, again, I think it's partly what we understand leadership to be. We tend to think leaders mainly are problem solvers and event planners and people helpers. And of course, 
We are all of those things. But how we are those things is the question. Mm-hmm. And at least as it relates to Jesus, we are always followers before we are leaders. In fact, it's our being followers that makes us leaders. You know, being a leader doesn't mean I make a wonderful plan for everybody's life. And then as an afterthought, I sort of say a little prayer and say, hey, Jesus, why don't you bless this thing I just planned? Mm-hmm. Kingdom leadership, Christian leadership is, Jesus, what are you up to in this person's life, in this community, in this neighborhood I've found myself planted in? I wonder what it would look like to join you there and be a cooperative uh, co-laborer. So one of the ways I like to talk about this is that leaders tend to have a bias for an activist orientation and don't have as much of an orientation to receptivity. But how can we give something if we haven't received it? So if I'd like my teaching to be rich with the wisdom of God, I need to be a receiver before I'm a speaker. If I want my counsel to be full of the grace and wisdom of God, I've got to receive counsel before I'm ready to give counsel. So I need Jesus to lead me, shepherd me, so that I can, in following him, be that sort of shepherd to the people entrusted to me. Mm. Yes, you also say, do we make a splash? Again, you know, you're probably tagging into that recognition piece, and there's a lot of that kind of thing out there where you're looking to make the splash and you're looking to make the splash to gather attention. I mean, that's why Jesus did miracles, right? Mm-hmm. In part, one reason was it, it caught people's attention and then the gospel, the kingdom could be offered to them. So are we making a splash or are we joining the Lord's flow? And like you said, where, um, where God is already at work and where we're saying, where are you and, and how can we um, join in with what you're doing? Um, yeah. So tell it to us a bit about why it's a good thing that we get to the end of ourselves. Yeah. Well, the reason it's a good thing to get to the end of ourselves is that ourselves are not the main resource or driver of what ministry is about. When we come to the end of ourselves, there's an empty space there that can be filled by someone greater than us. Uh, you know, we hear the language in scripture about being filled with the spirit. That's that's a relational sort of thing. That it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me, to, to mm-hmm. put it one of the ways Paul does. Right. That it can actually be the heart of Jesus and the mind of Jesus animating me and inspiring me and empowering me and guiding me. One of the resources as a leader we don't tend to think of as such is humility. It's amazing how much pride drives a lot of ministry work. Look at us, look at me, look what we've done. Humility is a better cooperator with grace than pride will ever be. You know, how many different ways do we hear God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble? If we want to cooperate with this abundant, gracious work of God, we have to come to the end of ourselves. In fact, we need to learn how to be less aware of ourselves, less self-conscious, and learn to be a little bit more God-focused. That is a, it's actually an easy yoke. Pride is a very hard yoke to carry. (laughs) 
Absolutely, absolutely. And I, I love what you said now about just now about humility. And that is one of the areas that, that I've studied is how to be surrendered, how to be canonic. Canonic leadership is, yeah. is a big area of passion for me, how to be the kind of leader that God needs you to be, as opposed to the way leadership is defined and success is defined here on planet Earth, especially in the overly type A realm of North America, United States in yeah. particular. We'll we'll pick on our own peeps here as yeah. well too. So um so then how would you encourage leaders, how do you encourage leaders to define success? Well, if you were to listen to the teachings of Jesus, uh, a word he uses a lot is or the language he uses a lot is the language of fruit. Hmm. And then he uses the imagery of being the true vine to which we are connected as branches. The thing about fruit is you never saw a farmer out in an orchard yelling at trees to be fruitful. You never saw hmm. them squeezing trees or manipulating trees to make fruit squirt out. Hmm. You don't produce fruit directly. You produce fruit indirectly. So what produces fruit? Well, watering and fertilizing and weeding and pruning. I think the kind of fruit Jesus is inviting us to bear looks more like that. It's doing the indirect work that tends the lives of people. This is what you were saying earlier. It's it's the truly making of disciples, enabling women and men to learn how to follow more closely and to bear the fruit of God's character, of God's love in their actual lived experience. Not just when they get together at church, but in that Monday to Friday when they're out and uh, in the world doing whatever it is they do. So that's the kind of fruit that now at this stage of life, when I look back, I can't remember half the things, 10% of the things I did 30 years ago, but I can tell you stories about people from 30 years ago that still matter to me. That's fruit. Fruit always involves people. It's rarely mm. about things. It's, it's about people. Right. I've often thought that this is what the church needs to be about is teaching people how to connect with people around them and have relationship. It's kind of like the missing link, mm. especially since COVID, you know, yeah. how, what does it look like to have a healthy relationship with my neighbor and have the church be a part of teaching and facilitating that um, so that we can build healthy relationships with people. Cause I found that it takes time to develop that kind of relationship with people so that you can, I don't want to say earn, but so that they feel comfortable to ask you about your faith and you can give uh, a response. And it's not because you you targeted them like they're a project, but yeah. it's out of um, a loving and caring, truly caring relationship, not a project. No, not that's project. exactly right. And yeah, you know, sure. the, the great commandment, it turns out it's not get more stuff done. You know, it's love God, love people. The thing is, by the way, we measure things, uh, love is rather inefficient, but it's really fruitful. Mm, I like that. 
it's, yeah. it's not efficient, but it's not efficient, but, but it's fruitful. It's yeah. definitely fruitful. I liked also how you talked about self-confidence versus God confidence. Yeah. Can you paint that picture for us? Sure. The problem for me with self-confidence is some days or weeks I'm doing pretty good and uh, things are going well. And so it's real easy to be self-confident. And then I might have a stretch of a week or two where I'm not doing so hot. And so mm -hmm. self-confidence is pretty hard to come by. Whereas I love that, you know, Paul in some of his writings talks about God is the one who makes him competent mm -hmm. and even confident mm -hmm. that my confidence is, is a relationship with someone else. You know, be strong and courageous, the Lord says to Joshua and the spirit of that whole passage what it is that makes him strong and courageous is pretty simple. I will be with you. That's mm. what God promises. That's where Joshua's confidence comes from, is presence and relationship. And I found that's true for me, too. I'm far more confident when I remember God is with me to guide me, to help me serve another. My confidence grows then when it's based on my skills or my personality or my drive or my ingen ingenious ideas, that's a roller coaster of confidence. Mm. Reminds me when, when I was a pastor at the um, merger of four and a half churches and we were like house hunting. <laughs> you were oh, really like house hunting because we were worshiping at a school and we had pooled our assets and we're waiting to buy something. And they kept saying, how are we going to know? How are we going to know? And we had almost exhausted. Well, we had exhausted the the market really for trying to find something that didn't have a flat roof. We had like four. It was only oh. a three or four little criteria. We didn't want a flat roof. We didn't want. Mm. And they kept saying, how are we going to know? How are we going to know? And I gave them my spiritual director at the Times comment. We will know when God lets us know. Yeah, <laughs> And I won't forget going in the building that we did eventually buy and renovate and everybody went in 50 different directions looking around and we all gathered back in what became the sanctuary and we all looked at each other and God let us know that yeah. this, this was it, you know, but they kept anxiously saying to me, like I was the defining thing. And I'm like, I'm not the defining thing. <laughs> we just have right. to wait for God to let us know, and God will be faithful. I know um, you mentioned in your book, too, about stopping uh, for that heart conversation with God. And sometimes that can be as simple as just pausing and having a sincere and honest of heart comment to God, like, I do not know what's going on here, mm -hmm. and I am not sure how to figure this out. So, Help me, Jesus. <laughs> you know, it can Absolutely. be that simple where we do just stop and acknowledge before God goes back to your comments about humility. Um, That's exactly right. I mean, one of the greatest prayers a pastor can pray is, I don't know, help. You know, we sometimes imagine we're supposed to be all-knowing. There's only one who's all-knowing. It turns doesn't turn out to be me. <laughs> and so I find... When I think of the language of Paul talking to his protege, Timothy, you know, and invites him to grow in grace, I've come to find that growing in grace in part has meant learning how much grace I need, how many different ways I need God to be generous, uh, 
how many different ways I need God's guidance or inspiration or instruction or whatever it is. There's not much, uh, you know, it's it's back to that organic image. Uh, if Jesus is the true vine, well, then what he says is true. Apart from me, you can do nothing. That's true mm. of branches connected to vines or disconnected. And it's true of me connected or disconnected from the true vine. Okay, great. In in our final moments together here, what advice would you give to ministry leaders? And I always define that broadly. It's not just yeah. senior pastors. It is anybody who over, you know, if God has given you charge over other people, whether it's, you know, one, two, 25 mm -hmm. or however many, you're still considered a ministry leader in my book anyway. Yes. Um, and so what advice would you give in this kind of crazy era that we're in, in transition in the church, capital C? Yeah. Well, this may sound counterintuitive. It won't to you, but um, it has been my experience that never has soul care been more important than it's been mm -hmm. in the last two or three years. My wife and I both, when we had to completely change the way we did what we did in our little nonprofit, had to completely pivot in terms of no more planes, no more groups, no more anything, all Zoom or writing or stuff I can do sitting here in my house. Um, we both, my wife and I both looked at each other and said, what are we going to do to make sure our souls are okay? Because we are facing a lot. What COVID has done, what the pandemic has done is amplified things that were already there and in some ways accelerated things that were oh, yes. already going, right? Yep. So to me, that says more important than ever to do well at the care of your own soul because people need us to be well cared for so they can be well cared for. I think that's the thing I would say more than anything else. See there, and I just want you to agree with me that I did not pay you to say that <laughs> because <laughs> I would not. have, because that is, that is why I feel compelled and pressed to, to do the ministry work and, and attempting to paint a holistic picture of what self-care looks like. What are all the facets so that you can intentionally knit in a small percent and be very intentional about it. And you have to because of this era uh, so that we can hear the new things that That's God right. would have us to do. Well, I want to thank you, Alan, for taking time to chat with me, to chat with all of us, actually. Mm -hmm. And I will put in the show notes all the information about your unhurried living uh, material. And I, and I hope our paths cross again. We're kind of kindred spirits. But thank you yeah. so much for, for being being a part of this today. Of course. And thank you so much for the work you do. I really appreciate it. Oh, you're welcome. Hey, thanks for listening. It is my deep desire and passion to champion issues of sustainability in ministry and for your life. So I'm here to help. I stepped back from pastoral ministry and I feel called to help ministry leaders uh, create and cultivate sustainability in their lives so that they can go the distance with God and whatever plans that God has for you. I would love to help. I would consider it an honor. And in all things, 
make sure you connect to these sustainability practices, you know, so that you don't become the crabby pastor. <laughs>